in this episode, you're not going to hear a lot from Chico and Greg. So I'm just going to openly invite them right now. Do you have anything to say before we get started, guys? Good to hear that. This is it was a thing on TV. Well, I got one thing to say. Let's play hardball. Wait, is this the baseball show or is this something else entirely? An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind, I give you Super Train. Episode 389, submission number 815 The Hardball Hot Seat. Hardball Hot Seat was a segment on Hardball with Chris Matthews during the 2002 2003 television season. All right, guys, this is a bit of a a personal thing that I'm covering this week because the 20th anniversary of what would have been the Hardball Hot Seat Finals would have occurred on Sunday, June 11th, but it didn't happen. We'll talk about that later. To preface this, I did take part in the Hardball Hot Seat, in case you don't know. It was my technically freshman year, but also kind of my sophomore year at Cleveland State. Uh, That's sort of like the weird thing about getting a five-year degree is, yeah, I was sort of like a freshman, but I was more like a sophomore. And it was my first year back at Cleveland State, but it was my second year overall. So it's weird. Let's just say that. It's weird. So what the hardball hot seat was, on, I believe it was Wednesday nights, there would be a segment in the middle of the show where a student in college, at the college they were reporting at, participated in rapid fire trivia for 90 seconds. And real simple, get as many as you can right in those 90 seconds. So what happened is every Tuesday, hardball did a show on location at a college or university. And then after the show was done, they would record the hardball hot seat segment and then air it the next evening. So even though there's like no continuity, oh, here, here's the hardball hot seat segment that we did at blankety blank university. And so that took up, you know, three minutes, four minutes of time. And ultimately what they did, they went to 30 colleges and they were going to take the top 10 highest scores and take them to Washington, D.C. to compete for $10,000. Now, the experience for me was a weird one. That was my first semester going back to college. That was literally like five weeks, six weeks into my return to college, and I was an absolute mess. I put so much pressure upon myself to succeed that my sleep patterns were effectively ruined. I did not get a good night's sleep for about three nights before then. And if you took a look at me, and this is on YouTube. I put it on YouTube like 13, 14 years ago. If you take a look at me, I'm like, I don't want to say totally out there. I'm tired. I'm visibly tired. I'm struggling to stay awake. And another thing that actually really hurt me is that Chris Matthews, the host of Hardball, on this episode, he had laryngitis. Uh oh. Uh oh. And because of that laryngitis, I was at a bit of a disadvantage. I I couldn't necessarily hear him. Plus also, yeah, it's kind of a challenge when you've got, I think it was about 900 people in the auditorium watching, and obviously you got the cameras, and uh, it it was late at night. I mean, the show aired, I think it was like 7 to 8. 
if I remember correctly. I know it hasn't been that long since Hardball has been on MSNBC, but I believe it was a seven to eight o'clock show. Because I think then at eight o'clock, I think it was the Keith Oberman show. Because Oberman was at MSNBC at this time. Because his show was being done in Secaucus at this point. Sort of right there, but Keith did not join MSNBC until around the spring of 2003, right after the Iraq war started. And so this recorded... I'm guessing it was probably about 8.15, 8.30 after they you know, get everybody off the stage and, and and whatnot. And it's like I said, just a simple little three-minute segment. Okay, here's the questions. Here's the clock. You know, you don't hear the clock audibly. The only thing that I heard was the time's up signal. And I'm just going through it as fast as I can, struggling with Chris Matthews' laryngitis. Now, this was week six of the competition, if I remember correctly. I think there were five previous stops, and I had gotten the top score at that point. I felt really good about getting to Washington, D.C. I'm not going to lie. I did not see any hardball after that. I treated this as a one-time experience. Hey, I got on TV. I got a little bit of swag. I was a very, very minor celebrity for about two days at school. You know, there were some people, hey, you're the guy in Hardball. You are you did such a good job. And I'm like, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. But yeah, nothing big ever came out of this. Or at least nothing big was expected to come out of this. So we fast forward to, I believe it was June 2nd. I think that was a Monday. Uh, in 2003. Now, I should say that the original episode, it recorded on October 8th of 2002, and it aired the next night, October 9th of 2002. Fast forward, like I said, to about June 2nd of 2003. It was a Monday. I remember that really clearly. It was a Monday, and just out of the blue, I received an overnighted FedEx from Hardball, from Washington, D.C., from MSNBC, saying, here's a whole bunch of legal releases. Here's a whole bunch of information about uh, possible flights from Cleveland to BWI in Baltimore, and just laying out the entire groundwork for, we want you on the show, but you need to get this signed and notarized and sent back to us by FedEx in 24 hours, or this isn't happening. So that's a nice little surprise to come home to after a nice long day of college. I need to go find a notary. I need to go sign this. I need to then find a FedEx place and get this done before basically the next morning. Lo and behold, you know, they got everything. They got the paperwork and everything was clear. We talked on the phone about arrangements from Cleveland to Baltimore, schedule and and all, all sorts of other logistics. And uh, they let me invite one person, and I specifically chose my sister for this because, one, my parents are both working at the time, and I didn't really think they could afford to take the time off. Maybe not a great decision by me, but th that's what I decided was, you know, mom and dad are working. I'm, I'm not going to use some of their paid time off to to go to dc plus also i didn't want to show favoritism by taking mom or dad and the other one might be disappointed but also too my sister had graduated about a month earlier from college and i thought that would be a nice little gift just a little retreat a little getaway from the parents for a couple of days and she deserved it she was my inspiration for going back to college so it was a very wise decision I'm not going to get into all the stories uh, that happened at the uh, the hotel and in D.C. We flew in on a Tuesday, so that would have been the 10th, I believe. And then we flew out the morning of the 12th. What I can tell you from that day, the 11th, it was a long day. And they actually wanted us to wear the same clothes that we wore to hardball to our initial episodes which i had the shirt 
That's not a problem. What the problem was, was the shirt I had was a long sleeve sweatshirt. Well, that wasn't necessarily the problem. The problem was it was like 95 degrees in Washington, D.C. when we were there. So I had to wear this sweatshirt for, you know, we got to the uh, studio. It had to have been like 8 o'clock in the morning. And we were there till after 5 or even after 6. So we spent like 10 hours there. And I had to wear this sweatshirt. And MSNBC was air-conditioned to a point. But still, 95 degrees outside, wearing this sweatshirt. And I'm... A pretty big guy, so it's not terribly difficult to make me sweat to begin with. Plus also, you know, 95 degree heat. Plus also, oh, we're playing for $10,000. So there's a lot of sweating going on. So we all were in the same hotel. We took the same transportation to the uh, studio. I don't remember the name of the hotel. It was a nice hotel, though. It was not like the Motel 6 or Best Western. It was a really swanky hotel. The one thing I do remember about the hotel, it was across the street from uh, the uh, arena where the, uh, the the Wizards play. Oh, I that would have been at the time the MCI Center. That's what it was. I, I, I want to say, I know United Center Chicago. I want to say United Center. Or, yeah, it was the MCI Center. It was like right across the street from there, not terribly far away. So it was like, right in the heart of Washington, D.C. So the people who were in the hardball finals got in the van. We were driven to the studio, which wasn't all that far from the Capitol. Beautiful view of uh, D.C. And the one thing I should add, I said that they were going to take the top 10 players. There was a tie for 10. So they took the top 11 players. They didn't do a tiebreaker. They just said, we'll take the 11 players, which I think is awfully generous of them. So the 11 of us, we went to the studios and we had our picture taken in front of like the uh, neon Peacock logo, NBC logo. And then at that point, we were shuffled off to a green room. And the green room was basically just like a meeting room. We were sort of isolated from everybody else. But occasionally from time to time, there were some people who stopped by. The two that I really remember, one was Pat Buchanan. And he wouldn't have been on MSNBC at this time. He would have been on CNN. No, he was on MSNBC at this time. He was, okay. He was doing a show with Bill Press. I remember this. Okay, all right. And the, the reason I mentioned the MSNBC and CNN thing, uh, not that I uh, got confused by it, but the studio that MSNBC had, basically, like, next door was the CNN studio, the, the Washington office. So that's why I thought maybe Pat Buchanan came over from CNN. He's in the area. Okay, I, I really totally forgot that he was on MSNBC at any point. But the other one that really, like, just like piqued my interest not trying to disrespect anybody else on msnbc or any of the other people who came by and visited us it was tim russert well first off beloved beloved tim russert but also and i really tried playing this up i went to cleveland state university that's who i was representing this was on my sweatshirt where do you think tim russert went to law school Cleveland State University. He graduated from John Marshall College of Law at Cleveland State. So I'm like, oh, hey, look at me, Mr. Russert. Look at me. Cleveland State, Cleveland State, Cleveland State. Uh, yeah, he gave you a little thumbs up. It's like, cool, good. And, and Tim Russert, beloved. Uh, I, it's been, what, 15 years since he passed, probably. Wow. It, it has been like 15 years, but. Just so beloved, such a great guy, such a great personality. And again, like I said, I felt that sort of kindred spirit because I went to Cleveland State at that point and he got his law degree from Cleveland State. And yeah, I I thought maybe I can get some mojo going, some good vibes, the Cleveland State connection there. So 
that's where we, the contestants, the players, were for hours. I mean, literally hours. Because what they did is they recorded each segment in reverse order of how you finished. So they started with the 11th place player, and then the 10th place player, 9th, 8th, 7th, so on. And I was actually, if I remember correctly, 6th place. I ended up 6th out of, or 5th. I think it was 5th now that I think about it. Maybe it was 4th. It was either 5th or 4th. I I, I, I remember I was in the top half, so it was either 5th or 4th. So I was like 7th, 8th in line. And so they used the same questions for everybody. And I did a pretty good job on my questions. I did such a good job, in fact, that after my round, I had the lead at that point. Now, mind you, there were still three people to go or four people to go, but still, I had the lead after like seven competitors. So I'm feeling okay. I ended up in third place. I'll just spoil that, but uh, there's something that I'm purposely skipping. There's a reason this didn't air. And you can thank me in part. I'm dead serious. You can thank me in part for it not airing. So one of the last questions, and this was played the same way as the uh, hardball hot seat at the colleges. It was 90 seconds, rapid fire trivia, get as many rays you can. So with maybe about seven, ten seconds left, I remember this question clear as a bell 20 years later. Chris Matthews says, what Roman city are the seven hills built on? And stupid me, I didn't say Rome because that's the answer. I questioned the question by saying, what Roman city? Rome is the city. It's not what Roman city, it's what Italian city. And he got a little flustered there. And I think that's partially the reason it never aired. Because, you know, that's not really good TV when this guy says, what Roman city? That doesn't make any sense. And so that threw everything off. Maybe not a good call by me, but also at the same time, the question made no logistical sense to me. And also, I was the first person to get to that question. So that's how fast I was going through the questions. I was the first person to hear that question, supposedly. Now, I, I obviously don't know that for sure because I didn't see any of the people who went before me. I saw the people who went after me. And actually, one other person got to that question. He made the same mistake. And to make it worse, if... Time didn't run out. The guy who got the faulty question would have won the entire thing. So what ended up happening is that two people were tied with the top score. So the powers that be just said, you know what? We're going to give both of them $10,000 a piece. And again, Chris Matthews made the same mistake on the same question as time ran out. So that sort of solidified the fact that this wasn't going to air. I mean, Chris Matthews actually started reading the question, what Roman city, and then stopped and took out the next question. He knew the mistake right there, and he knew he was costing somebody time because, again, there was five seconds left on the clock, and he was tied with the other person, and... Time ran out. I'm sorry. Maybe, I don't think it was necessarily uh, they were tied with the other person. He lost by one, and they thought that that question about what Roman city, the way it was badly written, that was a bad question. And if he would have gotten it right, he would have tied. So, yeah, they, they weren't tied. They had a certain winner. But the thing is, this error prevented a tie from happening. And then who knows what would have happened after that. So again, those two people, they each got $10,000. Third place, mm, I got third place. 
nothing to be mad about. I, I had a good experience. I, I was able to get out of uh, my summer class. Uh, I was taking calculus at that point. So I, I missed two or three classes. But the experience as a whole, real fun. I mean, it was real fun, even though, like I said, I, I put a lot of stress on myself, not related to this, but just related to everything else in school, because I really wanted to prove that I, I could go to college. And uh, on the way back to uh, the hotel, the producer of the show, she was sort of like our escort uh, in the van. She was like the, the person running everything. She said to me, she said, Mike, I didn't tell you this originally back in October, but you weren't our first choice. And I'm like, really? Yeah, the person we wanted never responded back. You were our second choice. How fortuitous is that? I wasn't the first choice. And the thing is, the way that they chose the contestants, it varied from school to school. Some schools, they picked like their best quiz bowl player. Some schools, you know, they, they had other criteria. Cleveland State, all it was was they sent an email maybe two weeks earlier saying, hey, are you interested in being on TV? Are you good at trivia? We've got something that may interest you. And I submitted my name. I'm like, sure, what the heck? Why not? Let's see where this goes. And they emailed me back maybe about, two days before the uh, show uh, recorded. Uh, I think it was like a, a Monday morning. And like I said, they recorded on a Tuesday, Tuesday night. And said, you know, get a shirt with Cleveland State on it. You know, come here at this time. And, and they just laid out all the ground rules. But yeah, I was the second choice at Cleveland State because somebody either didn't check their email or didn't respond in time, got cold feet, who knows. Thank you very much for that, uh, to say the least. And what I did get out of it, it wasn't just a trip to D.C. There, there was a lot of stuff that I got out of it. For being on, just doing it at Cleveland State, I received a uh, MSNBC like uh, a newspaper uh, carrier bag, a satchel. I got uh, a, a hardball hat, hardball shirt, a nice shirt. Problem is it's three sizes too small for me. I also got, got my photo with Chris Matthews, which, which uh, again, I have somewhere. Maybe that might pop up on the socials somewhere. But also, once I heard I was going to be on hardball, was I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought a copy of Chris Matthews most recent book or one of his books. And actually one of the benefits of being chosen for this was I got an autographed inscribed copy of the most recent book Chris Matthews had at the time. And I still have it. It's somewhere in my bookshelf. I haven't touched it, not even joking for 20 years but it said something to the extent of, you know, uh, to me, you know, good job being the best person on the hot seat tour thus far or something to that extent. So it's a memento that I have in my bookshelf, in my bookcase, haven't touched it in probably, like I said, 20 years. A cool little memento from uh, something that happened during my college days and, and really being on the hardball hot seat, it really improved my demeanor. And what I mean by that, it made me feel relaxed. It made me feel accomplished. I mean, I told you I was all nervous about school and didn't get any sleep. Once I did the hardball hot seat, it's like, I can do this. I'm pretty darn smart. Yeah, Chris Matthews said, I'm pretty darn smart. That's that, that, that's no small uh, uh, comment. You know, a celebrity actually said that. And even the uh, the celebrity at the hardball taping that was done at Cleveland State, uh, Joe Esterhaus, I sat next to him for the entirety of the show. And after I did the hardball hot seat, he's like, you did an amazing job. And I'm like, seriously, this is the guy from 
showgirls who's telling me I did a good job? Hey, Showgirls is a great movie. Elizabeth Berkeley. Boy, that sort of ties in with this whole theme this week. I, I, I... Yeah, is that eugenics? <laughs> Especially that one scene in Showgirls for Coughlin's and Elizabeth Berkeley in the, uh, you know. We know, we know. But yeah. Uh, I mean, that's like the first thing that goes in my mind when I see Joe Esterhaus is showgirls. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I had seen it a few times. I'll admit that. But it's like, OK, of everything that he's done in his life. And the reason he was on Hardball wasn't to promote a movie. It was actually, well, to talk about his life, number one. But also, he was a very heavy smoker. He's still with us, thank heavens, 20 years later. But they really talked about cancer and his voice was starting to go. And that was the focus. It was all about him, all about the smoking, all about. Now, we talked about some of the movies, but uh, like I said, the one thing I know Joe Estrahas for, even though he's done much more, is Showgirls. It's like, oh my gosh, this is the guy who wrote, like, it's a crappy movie. Don't get me wrong. But it's friggin' showgirls. Seriously. Elizabeth Berkeley, Gina Gershon, go see it. I've already seen it, thanks. <laughs> I'm not saying a word. I'm not saying a word. I'm not saying a word. So, also, I should add, going to D.C., and this was unbeknownst to any of us. When we got to the studio we received uh, a couple of prizes of sorts. Everybody who made the finals got $200 in America Express traveler's checks. And we received, and I have it somewhere, but it's 20-year-old technology, so it's probably really, really bad. But at the time, in 2003, this is the coolest little thing. It was a camera which... It took still photos, but also took video, not really big video. I think it was maybe at most like 480 by 320 or something like that. It was, or 360. It was not big video compared to what we have nowadays, but also it had an MP3 player uh, built in and uh, it took uh, SD uh, cards. And I think the limit you could use on SD cards at that point for that device I want to say it was like 64 megs, but uh, the capacity was very small. I mean, especially compared to nowadays when we have half a terabyte jump drives. So yeah, it was like 128 megs or 64 megs or 32 megs. It didn't have a whole lot of room is the point because that was 2003 technology, but that was the coolest little thing. I had that with me like everywhere just in case, you know, you saw something and Okay, flip it open. And the thing is, it wasn't that big. It was maybe about, oh gosh, maybe two and a half inches square. It was, I mean, it was smaller than a baseball card. It was, it was tiny and, and very thin, maybe about an inch thick. So yeah, it came with a little uh, leather holster, whatever you want to call it, that you put around your, uh, your belt buckle. It was a nice little device. And that was like a $400 device back in the day. But yeah, that's what we got for being on there. Uh, $200 in uh, American Express Traveler's Checks and uh, this digital camera that I used the heck out of for about two or three years. Then just, you know, technology got better. But, I mean, people comment about it all the time. I went to uh, uh, a couple of uh, uh, of autograph signings uh, that the uh, Indians did, the, the former Indians, the current Guardians did. And I remember... I don't know if I don't think it was uh, Victor Martinez. I think it was Coco Crisp. He was absolutely like in love with this thing. He's like, that is the coolest darn device ever. Where'd you get that? And yeah, I, I didn't get into terribly great detail about it, but it's like Coco Crisp, best name in baseball history, if you ask me, is like, that camera's so freaking cool. Where'd you get it? How'd you get it? So 
it got me some, uh, I don't want to say notoriety, but uh, people noticed it. And it was a fun little thing. And I have it somewhere. It, it's It's been a good probably 12 years since I've seen it and probably even longer since I've even hooked it up. So we'll see if I can find it. But I know I have some of the videos that uh, I made on it because not even joking around, I think my uh, inner... Uh, Spielberg or Cecil B. DeMille came out because that night in the hotel room, the, uh, this is the Wednesday after the hardball was done. I was using the camera and, and just doing stupid videos with my sister. And <laughs> we got a heck of a lot of fun out of that thing. Just that first night. And it did come with a card. It came with like a 64 megabyte card or a 32 megabyte card. But just doing little like two minute videos and actually uh, six years later, my sister passed away. I think people know that it's been 14 years since she passed. And I found the videos about a year ago or so, and they're not even really in a common format. It isn't like AVIs or anything like that. I forget what it is, but I got Windows to play the videos and they're very grainy. I mean, it's 2003 technology, so it's not going to be crystal clear. But just brought back so many good memories of the trip. Well, you know, now that they have AI video converters, maybe you could get that video up-resed. Possibly. I mean, the video, like I said, is either 480 by 360 or 320 by 240. Very small. Very small, and it looks very granulated and pixelated on current laptops. But again, it's just a, a fabulous little toy. And I'm glad that you hung around for the story. I know this is like a me show, but the 20th anniversary of when this was supposed to happen is coming up on Sunday. And this never aired. It never aired because of obvious reasons. My little mistake slash Chris Matthews' little mistake. You know, what Roman City. Plus also just the mistake in the end where he repeated the same error and basically screwed somebody out of $10,000, but ultimately they still got the $10,000. So yeah, I mean, it was a fun experience. They never did it again. I don't know if it's because of what happened with the finals or lack of interest or just not cost uh, effective or what have you, but this was a one season only thing where they went to 30 schools. They quizzed 30 people took 11, or should have taken 10, but took 11 people to D.C., and the finals never even aired. And that's the backstory behind one of the weirdest things you hear about that really wasn't a thing on TV. One thing I should mention, and this is how I remember this date. I said it was June 11th of 2003. That day... After we got done uh, recording uh, the Hardball Hot Seat Finals, in baseball, there was a six-person combined no-hitter by the Houston Astros. Yes! That's how I remember the date of this. Because that night, dead serious, there were two things I remember seeing on TV. One was that, was the combined no-hitter, because I think it was broadcast on ESPN, but also, number two, for some reason, HBO or whatever pay station we had, they showed a lot of Geely. Yeah, I hear the <laughs> laughter in the background. Yeah, Geely. So we had two choices. We could either watch Geely or we could watch baseball. And even my sister's like, no, this Geely is a piece of crap. I'll watch baseball. So we saw that combined no-hitter with the six pitchers uh, that Houston had. Okay, so I have the baseball reference box score from June 11, 2003. So Roy Oswalt got injured like after the first inning. So he was out of the game after the first inning. Here are the five pitchers that completed this no-hitter. Peter Monroe pitched two and two-thirds innings. Kirk Sarlis pitched an inning and a third. Brad Lich, who got the win, pitched two innings. 
I don't know how he got credited for the win for that because freaking they were already up for nothing. I don't know. Octavio Dotel pitched the eighth, and Billy Wagner pitched the ninth inning for the combined no hitter. Now I should note that this is one of two times the Yankees have been no hit since 1958. The other one was last year, and do you know who was against Mike? Was it the Twins? No. It was the Houston Astros. Oh, okay. Oh, that's right. So both times the Yankees have been no-hit since 1958 have been by the same team. It was a combined no-hitter. Christian Javier, Hector Neris, and Brian Presley combined for the second combined no-hitter by the Astros against the Yankees. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't Javier pitch the combined no-hitter in the World Series last year? I believe so, yes. Yeah, he did. He pitched the combined no-hitter. You're wondering how Brad Lidge got the win. I think I know why. Remember that a starting pitcher, and I know Brad Lidge wasn't a starting pitcher, but I think the pitcher had to get past five innings to get the win. I understand that, but it's normally, I think, if you have the lead with the team leading in the fifth inning, you're credited with the win. So there had to be some reason why he got credited with the win, even though he pitched the sixth and seventh innings. Well, like I said, after five innings, well, yeah, he wasn't the pitcher of record after five innings. I get what you're saying. He started the top of the sixth. I have no idea. Maybe it scores discretion. It could be that. It could be that. I've heard weirder things happening. Okay, but... Guys, Mike, you mentioned Geely. Do you know who else was in Geely besides Ben Affleck and uh, Jennifer Lopez? Well, like I said, we didn't watch the movie because we had two choices, and that was the one that neither of us wanted to see. Well, you wish you had seen it when I show you who was in the movie. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. <laughs> We're back to this, aren't we? Dunkachino? Don't mind if I do. What's my name? Dunkachino. It's a whole new game. Dunkachino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. <laughs> Say hello to my chocolate blend. Attica, Kua, Lucky Light. This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17 lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. Dunkachino. Are you proud of yourself? And it's appropriate that we're taping this on National Donut Day. Oh, that's true. That's true. But still, I... are you proud of yourself? <laughs> yes. I went to Dunkin' Donuts today, and I was expecting that there was going to be like this elaborate dance sequence for National Donut Day. And I was very sad that it did not happen. After that, I think there's only one way we can wrap up this show. We haven't done our Joey Gallo update this week. Let's hit it. But a doo Joey Gallo, he can't hit over 200, but he can sure smack a ball over the fence. It's the Joey Gallo update. He sure can't hit 200 because he's had two hits in the last week. He had a single against Toronto on Sunday. He had a single against Houston on Monday. That's it. So because of that, his average, it was uh, 211 this time last week. He's down to 188. No. He can't hit 200. But I will say this. We do actually have something noteworthy to mention for the Joey Gallo update this week. And I have it in my hand. This is the first trading card of Joey Gallo in a Minnesota uniform. This is from the Topps Heritage Series 2023. Uh, this is the design from the 1974 year. Uh, what Heritage does every year is they uh, reproduce cards in the design of a previous year, and they do it in chronological order. So this year was 74. They did 73 last year, and so on and so forth. Uh, and actually, next year is going to be a fun one. The 1975 design, oh, that's going to be lit. 
But yeah, here's Joey Gallo just uh, swung the bats, uh, hit the ball, I'm going to assume. Joey Gallo, Minnesota outfield. So yeah, there's your first official Joey Gallo in a Minnesota Twins uniform. Wasn't that a fun Joey Gallo update? That was the first Joey Gallo card. No, no, as not, first, no not first Joey Gallo card. First of him in a Minnesota uniform. Ah, there you go. Yeah, because he's been in the league, what, like eight years, nine years? Yeah, this is his first uh, in his current team's uniform. Hold on a second. I'm going to show you this video. Chico wasn't here when I showed you this video. Chico, I want you to read this title. Read the title. Yes, the title uh, is the payoff right, show here. Me the, show me the video and I'll read the read title, the okay? Joey Gallo breaks stat cast with Monster Dong. Good night, everybody. Kind of appropriate given this week. But I got good news, guys. The All-Star Game voting is now up, and you can vote for Joey Gallo to start at first base for the American League. Now, he guys, he wants we, this to happen. We all want now, guys. We failed with Guillermo winning the All-Star Celebrity Game MVP for the NBA. But you know what? We can do this. We can get Joey Gallo to the All-Star Game if we all vote five times a day. Tell a bunch of your friends, tell them vote five times a day for Joey Gallo. And hey, we can get him to the All-Star. Where's the All-Star Game this year? I forget. Seattle. Oh, Seattle. Okay. Yeah. So we can get him to Seattle. It'd be a great time. That's the hope anyway. Now I know, Mike, you're probably going to laugh when the all-star votes are revealed, and it's just going to be the five votes for Joey Gallo that I did. No, you know what? I have more faith in our listeners. And the thing is, if we look back at the statistics for the show. Generally on average, we have like about a hundred listeners per day or hundred downloads. So that means 700 people would get the message per week. And if we extend that over, what's the voting period about five weeks, four weeks, let's say 30 days. So 30 days times a hundred people, 3000 votes. But you know what? If everybody just tells five other people, that's 18,000 votes, the original 3,000 plus 15,000 more, and then those five people tell five more people, we may have something going on here. It could be done, people. Quoting one of my students, you could do it if you try hard enough. Dang it. Try your ass off. Let's get this done. Yes. But you know what we can get done right now? I know that you're not prepared for this, but here we go. Let's do an eBay Prices Right unrelated to the topic of this episode. Are you kidding me? Okay, guys, there's a reason why I wanted to do this, even though it has nothing to do with the episode. I saw this on eBay, and I was like, I have to get this card. And so I did, and it came in the mail on Tuesday. Even though freaking the post office lied to me and said it arrived on Friday, and it didn't. But I waited patiently, and I finally got it after Memorial Day. Okay, so this is what you're bidding. This is from Donruss Americana 2. And it is a swatch card slash autograph of... Eric Estrada? Yes. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, Dallas. Red, red ink and numbered 59 out of 100. Ooh. Yeah, I saw this with the red ink. I'm like, I got to get this. So... 
you're going to be bidding on the buy it now price I paid for it. So I will start the bidding with Chico. Well, we know that Greg does not like money, so it has to be at least $50. Mike? No. No. I'm going to just one penny you because I can't see that being more than about, we'll say $25. Mike was in the ballpark, but here's the price. $19.75. You got it. You got a deal. You got a deal. Out of a hundred, seriously, I thought maybe thirty bucks or so. Twenty bucks, pretty darn good. That's on par with the John Saxon card I got for like maybe ten dollars. Now I'd say you got a better deal on this. Yeah. Well, I got to put this in a case as soon as I'm done with this. So I got to put this in one of those metal cases, and I got like a dozen of them now. So. Okay, good. I was uh, going to ask you, are you going to wait another like three months to get a case? Okay, you got cases. Good, good. Smart man. All right, guys, I think this wraps up the episode. Uh, Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for persevering with my rambling. Just remember, you can find us uh, at itwasthingontv.com. You can find us on socials at itwasthingontv minus Facebook. Go to itwasthingontv.com podcast okay guys we're done with national sex day we're done with sex week we talked about sex box we talked about clever dicks we talked about hard balls i think now we can uh, use some self-restraint and uh move on to uh more normal topics let's say yeah and next and we got two next week oh my gosh one of them the first one I think we've been yearning to do this for some time, but I also believe at least one of our listeners has said, hey, when are you guys going to do this? And just coincidentally, when are you going to do this? We're doing it next week. But also, oh, the second episode. Do you have anything to say about the second episode, Greg? Well, the second episode, we're once again going to tie it in with a movie and this has been something that we've been waiting patiently for for the last year and guess what finally this movie that's related to this episode is coming out and it's from a tv show that really had a lot of acclaim back in the day but it fizzled very quickly yeah it went up against tough competition And when I mean tough competition, I mean really tough competition. And it got canceled quick as a flash. But it gives us an excuse to talk about Mark Hamill. Do we really need an excuse to talk about Mark Hamill? Oh, I really want to see the machine. That looks awesome. Oh, and actually speaking of Mark Hamill, since we just uh, saw your newest acquisition... Tops just released a series of uh, Star Wars cards with autographs. And supposedly the Mark Hamill one of one, the Super Fractor, that is supposedly, once it's found, is it going to be a, like a close to a million dollar card, supposedly. Oh my God. Wow. Be- because he doesn't sign autographs, apparently. No, or that often. For some no. time. No. Plus, also, believe it or not, this is 100% true. There are autographed Carrie Fisher cards in this set, even though she hasn't been with us for six years. I'm guessing these are the stickers that they've kept like around for years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, she probably signed a bunch of stickers and yeah, she passed in what, 2016, 2017? Yeah. And, it was the, and they are actually using these sticker autographs for this series. So if you get one of the Carrie Fisher cards, I can only imagine how much these cards are going for. I'm going to do a quick little search on eBay while we wrap up the show. But the boxes themselves, I think each box is like $375 or $350. So, Ooh, this is like upper deck NBA exquisite level expensive. This is uh, up there. Uh, well, exquisite is, is very expensive. It, it's much, uh, much uh, well, higher than well, that. Well, especially the ones from LeBron's rookie year. 0304, where you have like Bosch, Wade, Cormello, and everybody in that set. Maybe it hasn't been released. I know I saw it on Topps' page earlier this week. 
but yeah, just taking a look at Carrie Fisher autographs uh, on Topps cards over the years, $3,500, $3,600. Her and Kenny Baker dual signed uh, one-on-one card, $3,000. Yeah, I mean, that card is probably going to be several thousand dollars at least, I'm going to assume. But yeah, the that's uh, one of the new Topps releases. Uh, good luck if you are interested in that. I don't even think the shop I go to is even going to carry it. But uh, yeah, the Mark Hamill card is supposed to be big bucks. Not Victor Wimbanyana bucks, but big bucks nonetheless. Oh, and by the way, yeah, Greg said it was a $10,000 card, that Wimbanyana. Mm -mm. I think I'm going to be lucky to get $3,000, but still. Most expensive card I've ever pulled. Yeah, that's good. All right, now I think we're done with the show. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll catch you on Monday with that new episode once we're out of National Sex Day Week. Yay! Wow! Now, I hope to God you can see this. Can you see this? Oh, my God. I was wondering how you'd close on my show, uh, my hardball show, but okay, yes. Here we go. Yeah, I can see that. Joining us now to shout about God knows what's everyone's favorite Looney Tune, former Georgia senator and current Fox News contributor, Zell Miller. Zell, what do you got for us? <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of hearing about Newsweek magazine. Let me tell you what we used to do when some yellow-belly desk jockey wrote something we didn't like. We rounded up our boys, got ourselves some crowbars and shotguns, and we'd head on down to the local printing press to have ourselves a talk. After we were done talking, we'd throw a couple kerosene lamps through the window and the problem stalled. This is why I come into work every day, folks. Final thoughts, Michael Isikoff. Uh, I'm afraid I don't have the time, Chris. We've just received an important lead. Apparently, Prince Albert is trapped in a can and must be let out. <laughs> May God be with him. You don't say. <laughs> Condoleezza Rice. Chris, the freedom of the press is something the Bush administration loves about this country. Don't make us take it away. <laughs> Zell Miller, go. Let me tell you, Matthews, this country's got a real problem with the media, and you're one of them. If you can't control that dirty liberal thing you call a mouth, then maybe I'll have to jump on my horse and come up north myself and stuff a sock in it. Do you hear me, Chris Matthews? Do you hear me? When we return, Saddam and his speedo Connie takes over Newsweek. Zell Miller explodes, but until then, live from New York, it's Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs>